Dear everyone, uh, welcome to the next episode of uh, Inside uh, CleanTech. Today, uh, I have the pleasure to have with me Mrs. Adele Ara, uh, the Head of Asset Management from uh, Lights for Services. Adele, thank you very much for accepting uh, our invitation to, uh, to speak with us. Thank you for inviting me. So, uh, 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 we're going to have a very kind of casual discussion. Mm -hmm. We're going to discuss about, a bit about you. We're going to discuss a bit about the industry. Uh, and hopefully we'll provide some very uh, uh, insightful uh, content for, for everyone to see. Let's hope so. Great. Okay. So um, before we, uh, we, we dive into the uh, you know, main questions, tell us a bit about you. So um, I come from a financial background. Uh, I used to work in investment banking and, and private equity. And my first experience in renewable energy was very much when I joined the private equity group in 2008. Um, and I happened to work on renewables um, because the group was funding a number of green development projects, solar projects in southern Italy, and I happened to be the only Italian speaker in the team. Right. So okay. um, I ended up my experience um, more on the financing side of things and getting embracing more of the development risk and greenfield risk. So from you know, lease negotiation, grid applications, queuing at regional office with all of my documents <laughs> in my hands. Uh, sounds very uh, familiar. Sounds very familiar. Um, and, and that was, I think, my uh, beginning in the renewable, in the renewable industry. Um, after a few years, when the fund started actually having a quite substantial portfolio of operating assets, solar and wind across Europe, I think we realized that um, one of the first myths about renewables was actually just a myth, which is you stick the panels to the ground or the turbine in the foundation, the sun is shining, the wind is blowing and everything is easy, you sit back and you get your cash. Turns out it's not like that. We wish. <laughs> so um, at that point in time, there was the very clear realization in the executive team of the fund that we needed a proper portfolio management and asset management function to look after these sites. That was very interesting and appealing to me. And so I started setting up that function. Uh, and a few years later, Lightstones came about and uh, they had a very funky and exciting proposition of growth. Um, and so this is how I uh, jumped cheap and came here. Uh, and since 2014, I've been leading the asset management team for- So five years, five years in Lightstones? Five years in Lightstones. Right, and now in Lightstones. Which is quite a team. lot for Lightstones. <laughs> Okay, so um, uh, so tell us a bit about you know how much how much megawatts are you are you uh, managing at the moment? So as a as a global corporate, we have two gigawatt under management between asset management and and one um, We have deployed uh, the large majority of our capital in the UK. So we have deployed mm -hmm. almost three billion pounds in equity and debt wow. in the last few years. Uh, to fund all of these projects. Um, we own some of the projects, we do provide services for third parties on some of the other projects, and that applies to both our asset management and O&M businesses. Mm -hmm. um, we are now about to start construction of a number of projects in, that, in other jurisdictions, particularly Australia and the US. So towards the end of this year, um, hopefully we're gonna start really having a global, a global platform. We already have uh, operating sites in India, mm -hmm. uh, which is a market where we are um, actually looking at potentially multiple technology, not just solar. But in general, that is the scope of our of our portfolio. We have we have a very ambitious 
um, organizations, um, as we have demonstrated in the past, and we kind of want to replicate the same type of. So you must process. be like one of the biggest in Europe, if not the biggest. I think we are definitely the biggest in Europe. You are the biggest in Europe. <laughs> Great. Okay, Axel. And how many people do you employ at the moment? So, uh, in terms of asset management team, we yeah. are nineteen individuals. Uh, plus another couple of guys in India, so mm -hmm. 21 in total. Um, the wider organization is in excess of 300 employees now. Uh, and clearly our ONM force is, is, is quite significant, it's around the 140 mark now. Okay. It's quite, Excellent. It's quite an operation. Is, is, it, is it growing? Is it like a... It is growing. Is, is growth a challenge? Is <laughs> well, Especially the human resources element. I would say, interestingly, um, as far as asset management specifically is concerned, um, we have been able to attract very, very talented people from across Europe. Um, and that has been very much the case until kind of Brexit. So it's becoming a bit more difficult now to attract very talented young people and highly motivated, highly skilled young people from Europe to come around. And so that is becoming a bit more, uh, a bit more challenging on the specific asset management space, I have to say. Not impossible, but I think we were used to highly experienced uh, and with a very competitive mindset, guys of mine and be very willing to move from continental Europe to, to the London. UK. Now, this is not that easy anymore. That's not right. easy anymore. No. But also, I think this is a this is a, you know, a wider challenge. If you go global, you need to start looking at how For you're sure. going to grow in specific For local sure. areas and then geographies. This is world. now this is now one of our main. Uh, tasks and one of the most exciting exercises, if you like, that we are working in as a business, which is how do we really create our global footprint for asset management? To what extent we are deploying services locally? To what extent we are keeping control um, centrally? And I'm a bit of a control freak, so there's going to be <laughs> some level of control centralized right. for sure. Okay. But um, so we, we had BP acquiring yep. part of Lightsource. When did that happen? Is that, are they a majority holder now? Uh, no, they're not. So BP owns 43% of Lightsource. Um, the transaction was completed in December 2017 with further completion in January 2018. So we are now slightly more than one year into this partnership. Uh, it's uh, a very exciting partnership. Is is really opening us to the art of the possible. Um, and I think it's it's been today is extremely successful. And and we are really learning a lot from VP. They are not imposing much on us. They uh, they are a very valuable partner. They are not necessarily coming here and telling us this is now how to do your job. Um, so that has been very refreshing, I think, is opening up a lot of possibilities that without such a partner we would probably have not been able to embrace for quite some time. But we see a lot of foreign majors. We, we, we have the example of BP, we have the example of Shell, we have the example of Equinor, Total, and L. So everybody's is, is looking to take a piece of the renewable yeah. energy market and they are putting themselves forward as a, um, as a global power companies rather yeah. than oil companies or oil and gas companies. So how do you think this will start affecting our industry? How do you think this will, um, you know, perhaps uh, what are the, uh, the benefits and the drawbacks of the oil majors coming in the market and how this will affect perhaps the, um, the current players, the infrastructure funds, the, the IPPs? Yeah. So I think whilst I cannot make comments on the uh, general policy and strategy of oil majors, I think what we are seeing that fundamentally is a positive. At the end of the day is another demonstration that 
there is no way to turn back on the energy transition and the transition to the low carbon. So um, that is increasing competition. Uh, people and players in the market need to be smarter and sharper. That's for that's for sure. So there is going to be a shift in how the market is 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 set up. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the beauty of this is that not only is not anymore just a financial or economical play or a profitability play, it's becoming more and more a social aspect of our life, isn't it? So we have strikes in London for climate change, kids striking from school because they want their parents to look after the environment better. So I think the interest of that is that it's no more us as investors, as owner, as IPP, as developer looking at profitability, but it's really interlinked with a major macroeconomic and social uh, trend that is going on. Um, and so I suppose it's going to be difficult for smaller players to keep up. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a general acceleration for uh, for the market and for the industry as a whole. So you see them more as an enablers, of course, rather than anything else. And and I guess that they drive the consolidation of the market, and they drive the fact that we need the, the necessary scale, if you would like, to to mature as an industry as well. For sure. I mean, seeing big players that have historically just been working. Uh, on you know brownfield and and not at all low carbon type of type of energy sources, shifting and raising their interest and, and investing more on what we do, which is ultimately energy transition, cannot be seen as anything as even a positive. So it's not just a marketing or a communication no, 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 I don't situation. Think so. They are they are truly enabling the transition of our industry. For sure, in our own experience, it's the the power and the potential that it is giving us is real and is not a marketing tool at all. So on another subject, what is what is we, we are we are seeing that we are you know moving towards an unsubsidized yeah. kind of environment um, where um, uh, the drivers behind investments are completely different. Uh, we don't have you know incentives anymore yeah. or the incentives are have been minimized in, in many of the markets. Mm-hmm. We also have the, uh, the the cost of uh, of, uh, of the uh, equipment and the installation that have come down significantly, and now we see a lot of corporates start playing on the PPA field. So, yeah. what is your view? What is your opinion on unsubsidized investments, and how do you think PPA is 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 critical in, in that in that the current stage we are in the market? Okay, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you want. Okay, I think so. There are two points. One is I suppose when you start getting in an environment that is highly subsidized as renewable has been so far, I suppose you have two ways of looking at it. One is very opportunistically seizing the opportunity in a short to medium term view of investing into a project that has highly um, subsidized by governments, whatever, um, and look at it in isolation. Or you can look at the subsidies as de facto an opportunity for an industry to have an acceleration path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose if you have the ambition of growing as an IPP or as a fully integrated developer at Lysources and, and actually drive the energy transition for the long term, then your view is very much that subsidies are there to facilitate the growth of that industry and so you kind of always prepare in the back of your head for the moment in which your technology is going to be cheap enough to be competitive with others which is exactly what happened with solar so from a um, 
from a challenge on the development perspective, I think the challenges are still pretty much the same. We still are going to have the same issues about do we have enough sun? I mean, let alone the fact that we have two gigawatt in this country with not very much yeah, sun. Yeah, but do we, have enough, and do we have enough sun? Do we have a good enough grid access? Is the grid reliable in the country? Is the country itself, from a microeconomic perspective, an environment we want to invest in? I think the additional layer of complexity that PPAs and unsubsidized environment brings us is very much our view on the wholesale market price. How is the electricity price going to be? Are um, renewables going to kind of cannibalize power price as well, as we have seen happening already in Germany and in certain circumstances in southern Italy? So, at the end of the day, I think we are adding a level of complexity and skill set, which is understanding the power market that as developers before we maybe didn't necessarily need to have because of all the subsidies. But this is a natural evolution. So we are just more mature and we're just a bit more grown-ups um, and we need to invest in that type of skill sets for sure. And, and we need to start having medium to long-term views as, as to what we think the, the the market price is going to be and the forward curve are going to be. So relying on Quarim Moringa forever is not it's, going it's, to do the It's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. But um, we see people that they're chasing the um, the you know the long term PPAs because it's uh, you know it's a acquisition if you would yeah. like of the lenders um, or the banks uh, in order to release capital uh, debt capital. But um, do you think that? Long-term PPAs will will survive. I have a feeling that we will see these, you know, long-term contracts being renegotiated at least one or two, you know, times in their lifespan. I um, think there are a number of. Uh, it's interesting. There are a number of factors. So you can see in certain countries where already PPAs are actually not that long-term mm -hmm. uh, as you were expecting, and it is true that they are a bit challenging to finance. But there is finance, and also some degree of non-recourse project finance in place for this type of transactions. So there is also an element of the education of the lenders um, going through. I think what we are looking at is that there is quite a variety also on the type of PPA that you enter into with your customers. Um, some customers, particularly if you look at, at global players and you try to establish global relationship with uh, with these big utility users, um, they might they preference might be linked to the type of PPA they are used to in markets where they are already deploying strategies. So US customers tend to look for virtual PPAs quite a lot. Right. Um, UK customers are more focused on. Um, maybe sleevings or physical PPA, private wire is probably more uh, available in this market than in other markets. And so I think the key point is flexibility. The key, not only fixed price and fixed volume and, and firm is, is going to do the trick. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that on top of everything brings on an asset management and operation perspective a completely new level of risk and a completely new level of interface to manage because we were very comfortably sitting back and having plain vanilla utility PPA with a big six um, and simply submitting our statement once a month, sit back and receive the cash. Now we are talking about a proper service and, and client supplier relationship mm -hmm. with a client that is really relying on the uh, ability of our plant to be reliable in production, to make their factory work and to keep their offices up and running. So it's a complete shift also from an operational perspective and it's an interesting challenge. We're moving from being, as asset managers, we're moving from being the client to actually be a very critical service provider for corporate organizations that require electricity. So it's not just 
the PPA itself is also the ship that it brings and the rest of the organization. And I think will be challenging. And in small players, we're going to find this a bit difficult, I think. So part of the challenge or the wider challenge you would like and how the asset management service is going to evolve, we have to involve both, both sides of the spectrum. So we need to be much more effective on yeah. managing the ONMs and the other uh, core service providers um, you know, on the, on the power plants, yeah. as well as providing service on a different level and becoming a, a, you know, an integral part of how, the, um, uh, you know, how the, our clients, our virtual clients or physical clients are uh, managing utilizing the, uh, utilizing the energy yeah yeah very uh, very very insightful um, uh, moving towards uh, you know uh, to moving towards and discussing about about trends a bit how do you see you know, the current trends because we cannot you know foresee how the future will 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 you know will plan out but what are the current trends what are the discussions you have on you know how do you build up your, your PPA agreements at the moment so I think um, as I was saying before, there are with the markets we are looking at are primarily two of the main factors that are leading us to a market are of course how much sun is there, are there um, PPA counterparties and buyers that are willing to entertain that type of conversation, and how does the wholesale power price curve um, look in terms of medium but medium term but also long term outlook. Now. What we are working on is establishing a number of relationships that sometimes go well beyond the specific um, country that we might start having the conversation upon. Mm -hmm. and, and what we are seeing is that there is for sure an increased interest from energy buyers into this type of product. Um, some of that might be driven by their uh, corporate sustainability policies. Some of that might be driven by um, actually a real desire to compress the financial cost related to the energy supply um, or a combination of both. Um, for sure, buyers are becoming more sophisticated. The more they are interested, the more they are raising the competition. So we are definitely seeing the competition from the uh, PPA suppliers market increasing quite significantly. Mm -hmm. Now, it's very difficult to find a size fit all, uh, to be fair. So as I was saying before, um, we need to get the light level of flexibility also on the type of PPA. It is very clear that simply offering firm PPAs, long-term fixed price is not going to do the trick. Um, so whichever provider needs to be able to go virtual sleeping, uh, firm when necessary, even private wire when necessary, but flexibility is really the key. Um, the PPAs themselves are quite heavily customized um, and the customer are becoming much, much more sophisticated in the type of reporting they want, the type of control they want to see on the site. Um, some of them want to have real-time data and want to be able to sit alongside whoever is managing the sites to be able to see how the site is producing. They want to learn from their own site as well. So um, it's it's the level of sophistication of the counterparty is definitely increasing. Increasing. Are we uh, are we stepping up in the game as an industry? Are we? Uh... Are we evolving fast enough or uh, um, have we transitioned from the linear model that you have a plan and then you have an O&M and as manager and the owner into a more you know, holistic approach of how we manage an asset and how we interpret data perhaps? I think, I think data is the key. I think as an industry we are evolving. Um, some of the buyers are sophisticated mm -hmm. enough and have been buying um, energy and their electricity supply throughout a sophisticated instrument 
um, even before through more brownfield type of, of suppliers, if you like. So they are used to a level of sophistication that is probably one notch above where we are as an industry. Uh, now clearly we are perfect, so <laughs> make the conversation. But um, but that is really one of the trends for us as operators, whether as management of ONM, data management, data quality, and how we can use the data point that we have to improve our performance and make it more reliable is absolutely key. So everything that is testing forecasting, for example, um, is absolutely critical. You know, um, we as PPA provider, we might well be in a situation in which we're providing guarantee of minimum production uh, with different time frames. Can be month, can be year, can be settlement periods. Right. So um, it is critical that we grow to a level of sophistication in our data management and in our capacity of forecasting or production that the industry is probably embracing and starting getting there. But it needs to be a very quick shift if we want the PPA to be successful.